Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. There are 47% of the people who are both for the president no matter what. All right, there are 47% who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that, that they are victims, who believe that government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. But that's it's an entitlement, and government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. And, and I mean, the president starts off with 48, 49, 43. He starts off with a huge number. These are people who pay no income tax. Forty-seven percent of Americans pay no income tax. So our message of low taxes doesn't connect. And he'll be out there talking about tax cuts for the rich. I mean, that's what they sell every every four years. And uh, and so my job is not to worry about those people. I'll never think they said they should take personal responsibility and care for their lives. What I have to do is convince the five to ten percent in the center that are independents, that are thoughtful, that look at voting one way or the other, depending upon. In some cases, emotion, whether they like the guy or not. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 17th of June, year of our Lord, 2019. More to the Mitt Romney in a second, but I want to apologize for all the missteps. Try to get a couple in, just didn't work out. The drives were longer. The kids were too important not to spend time with. And today I'm squeezing one in before my wife's <coughs> surgery. And then we'll shoot for a Friday podcast on the, uh, what would that be? That would be the 21st. Uh, But remember, they'll be shorter, and this one will be a little disconjoined. But for those that were still listening, I thank you all. I saw that people were going to the back catalog, and we still had listens, and I really appreciate it. And I can only apologize. It was just really hard to pull these in. So this today's podcast can be a little bit about the kids Some D-Day stuff I wanted to cover. I'm going to cover some political subjects in the news and social media nuggets. Um, But the intro there is because we're talking about Trump and this latest comment. And all I can hear on podcasts and the media is somehow how horrible he is that he would listen and turn somebody into the FBI when he was stupidly interviewed by ABC. Now, first and foremost, whoever the fuck let him go get interviewed by George Snuffberger, who is a Clintonite, they need to fucking fire that person. Why would you do that interview? But of course you're going to get those gotchas. And I wanted to play that because that was the the beginning of our ugly politics, in my opinion. Um, Prior to it, it was Bush lied, people died. That's the normal. We're used to that. And blaming him for Katrina and all that stuff. But he wasn't running for president when that stuff came down. So when Mitt Romney came out, some liberal acolyte sends this video. And that's all we heard. And the next thing you know, Mitt Romney is not going to be president. Barack Obama is. And it's all over. That was it. And there was nothing wrong with that. Morally or anything. Well, then we fast forward to 2016. We spend... Countless millions of dollars, three years, and we're still talking about Russian collusion that never happened. But I want to remind everybody, Hillary Clinton did collude. The DNC colluded with Ukraine. They colluded with Christopher Steele. And now you have people on your TV saying, well, it's legal to collude when you pay for it. That's the latest argument they're having. So, yes, what Trump said morally is kind of stupid. If I was a politician and they asked me, what would you do if somebody came forward and told you something about Bernie Sanders, I would say, if they're a foreign actor, I'd go to the FBI. 
But to say politics isn't dirty and that people don't use dirt, I present you Mitt Romney. Second thing, because yesterday was Father's Day, I can't miss a holiday without talking about liberals being dickheads. And here's NARAL. Happy Father's Day to all the pro-choice dads out there. Men for choice support equality and value bodily autonomy, and that makes them great role models. Somebody responded, There is nothing more perverse than using Father's Day to glorify abortion and celebrate men who reject fatherhood. And ain't that the truth? That is just, that's the truth. So I had to hit that. So we're going to start our quick synopsis of my drives and the kids that we never got the video, unfortunately, uh, or audio. I tried to get them in here, but, you know, I just didn't want to get on a computer, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I wanted to play the soundbite of the trip, and that is Terminator 2, Judgment Day. were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. I don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now, his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Come with me if you want to live. You're really real. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy... He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. ...is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all... Look again. Stay down! Go! Now! We gotta stick together! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. My grandkids were so into Terminator, and I'm glad they were, because I hadn't watched the series forever. We went to Genesis. I think I talk about it on the podcast, but um, we tried to do the no computer, no phone, spend time with Grandpa and Grandma. We did so much stuff, and we ended up watching all five. But this one multiple times on the drive, because Jude, my eldest grandson, just loved this movie. And I got to admit, sitting down to the Pantheon, I think this was the best one, number two. Liquid Dude, it was really a great flick, and I, I actually got into it. Uh, subsequently, I bought him a cheap game that should be there next couple days. But simultaneously, 
they got into my chat on the movies podcast where they'd rate all these movies and we'd listen to the podcast and then watch the movie because we listened to it on the drive. And remember, the drive was three uh, three hours the first night, 10 hours the second day, 10 hours the third day. It was a long drive. And uh, a span of 10 days, I drove 4,800 miles to pull this off to North Dakota. So we'd listen to it and watch it and introduce them to Tommy Boy, uh, Happy Gilmore, Black Sheep. They'd never seen any of these. Uh, they loved The Water Boy. And, of course, every movie we watched, we cleared with mom first. Um, but it's amazing in three years how much kids can change, which is kind of why we didn't get on the mic. Um, uh, the eldest, Jude, is totally into Civil War, so we went out to Fort Donaldson, took him on the trace. Uh, they still like Chuck E. Cheese, so we did that. He does stop motion, so we bought a bunch of Army dudes, and he made videos. But more importantly, we just spent time together as a family. And i got to admit... Um, it went by too fast. I picked them up the 31st. I dropped them back home um, on the, I guess it would have been the uh, 12th. And uh, I drove the night of the 12th and the 13th, which was sad to let them go. But next year, it's a whole summer. And uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun with my little dudes. Uh, so I profusely thank their mother. I loved them up. Uh, they brought out good things and all the animals, both me and grandma, and it was just a fantastic trip. So thus, you just didn't get a podcast. It just wasn't happening because this is a once-in-a-lifetime. I got next year, I will go off the mic probably for two or three months um, because that'll be the last year. They'll be teenagers, and it will be over. But for me, I went through states I've never been to. So I'd done pretty much every state in the union except for North Dakota, everything north of Maine, like Vermont and New Hampshire. I've never been to those. And I've never been to Iowa and Nebraska. So North Dakota, flatter than crap, nobody there, nobody talks to you. But I will say the city of Des Moines, the city of, uh, well, I guess it was Iowa City, I stayed in South Dakota. We stayed in Sioux Falls. Great place. And Hiawatha, Nebraska. Uh, You won't find it on a map. It's a teeny little town, but it's my journey back home. And I left around 2 o'clock Central, drove till 7.30, because because these are middle-of-the-country states, nobody really cares that there is just massive flooding out there. And so on the drives north, because I'm east of the flooding, I had no problems. <clears throat> I could get detours around I-29. I can get up there to North Dakota. I could get up there to uh, Iowa City and then flex on over to South Dakota like we did or Des Moines. Um, but on the way down, the GPSs couldn't keep up with all the closings. So my first drive back on the 12th, I leave Sioux Falls. I end up north of St. Joseph, Missouri, and the bridge on Highway 136, which is not Highway 136 in Nebraska, it's 136 in Missouri, so when you're seeing signs and you're not on it, you're on 75 South, Iowa, or Nebraska 75, I just ran into a bridge that was closed. And had to backtrack 30 miles, find a detour, and that ended me up in Hiawatha, Nebraska, where I had to stay in the only hotel they have, in the last room that they had, because there was many a traveler like me that ended up stuck there. Um, 
just stuck. You were screwed. Your plan was destroyed. So I ended up having to drive down pretty much through uh, Omaha, and I finally cut in by Kansas City the next day after leaving Hiawatha. It was like 20 miles. I'm in Kansas City, and I could catch back on 64 eastbound to get over or 70 eastbound to get to 64, to get to 57, to get to 24. So it was quite the journey, amazing drive, but I loved Iowa. The damage is very sad. You see bridges that just reopened, and the railroad bridge is gone. I mean, it just doesn't exist. Um, Roads shut, lakes that have overflowed through houses. Um, It didn't make national news, because once again, it's, it's the middle of the country. Nobody cares. But... I include those people in my prayers now because it's it's really sad. There's a lot of damage. So, other political stuff till we get to the stuff I actually documented. I wanted to talk about the census. And it's a big thing in the media right now because they want to ask that question on the census, are you illegal? Something that I knew but I had forgotten. Um, Let's just break it down. We get representation based on population. Without knowing if people get our citizens or not, Democratic states are getting more representation than they deserve. So I think Ben Shapiro broke it down the best of, of the people I heard talk about it. Um, and, and you think a town that's got a million people, but 300,000 of them are illegal. Well, of course, that's a different representation. And that's why the Democrats are so upset about it. That's why everybody's freaking out and CNN's losing their goddamn mind. Because in the end, they would lose seats in the House. And that's why they don't want that question. Because for years, they've been districting based on these illegals. They get the count. Thus, they get more representation and more seats. So that's the census flap in a nutshell. And I, as a normal American, that's bullshit. The census was designed to give us representation based on Americans, not illegals. The next one was Mexico. Um, While I was out and about, you probably all know it by now. But, hey, listen, the reality is the tariffs worked. And now they're going to start doing something on the Mexican side for illegal immigration. I mean, 185,000 people a month are streaming across that goddamn border. And they're just dumping them. They got no place to go because the Democrats blocked beds to a certain set. So let's just think about that for a second. The media is not going to give him the credit, but his tariffs did work. And he did push back on Mexico. And as of right now, they're going to work on limiting the immigration. They have the keys to their border. And they're free-flowing people from Honduras up. Another thing that I read was the with disgust is that they won't give up who's financing this shit. And you and I both know it's Democratic organizations. It's Soros. There was already proof that uh, Beto O'Rourke was sending money down to them. And we, we reported that on the show. Lastly, the Iran stuff um, really really just chaps my ass. Um, If we look at Iran right now, and we understand the differences between Obama and Trump, Obama was very coddling to them because he had a secretary or a chief of staff who was Iranian and was more loyal to Iran than us, and that's Valerie Jarrett. 
We send boatloads of money to these motherfuckers. They started doing more bullshit. And now they're playing the North Korea hand. They're going to act up. But if you read the articles on these tanker attacks, without any proof, Pompeo says, okay, let's do the math on this. Who the fuck else is going to do it? I actually read on a Vox article, this is just Israelis blowing up oil tankers to get Iran in trouble. I mean, can the anti-Semitism and the lack of America first be any more evident with the left? I mean, seriously, think about it, folks. Under Obama, whatever the fuck the CIA or the fucking Pompeo came... Pompeo figure came out and said, it was the gospel handed down by Moses, and you shut your dirty fucking mouth if you don't agree with him. But now, because we hate Trump, everything is suspect, without evidence. Well, who else is going to do it? Who else gains from starting shit over there? Because remember, Obama lessened all the sanctions, handed them money, and allowed them, as was reported today, to go over their nuclear stockpile because he was an Islamist, in my mind, and was more for them than us. Trump comes in and says, fuck that, Chuck. We're going to go back to freaking these people are bad actors in the, on the, the, uh, net, the world scene. They finance more terrorists than anybody else. We're not having it. Boom, boom, boom. So they play the North Korea card. We act up. Maybe they'll, they'll be nice to us and give us some money. Because from all objective observers, Iran's a clusterfuck right now. They're lacking money. They're sucking buttermilk because these regimes always do what these regimes do. They get money. They don't apply the money to the people. They apply it to their fucking nuclear programs because they believe if they get a nuclear bomb, they can flip their fingers in the middle of the whole world and say, fuck off. And we'll be scared of them. Secondly, it's we're horrible because we might fight back. On the cover of the Army Times, literally war with Iran, but because it's a liberal rag in these kind of articles, it's basically we're wrong for wanting to do it. Well, listen, there was an incident back in the 70s or 80s, and I can't remember when the date was, that this kind of shit went down, and we nuked most of their goddamn Navy in one day. With a couple birds. So, if Iran wants to get froggy, we're going to mud stomp that ass. But it's going to be naval-wise. It's not going to be a fucking ground war. And this is the same old drum played by the same peace-loving, fuck America, fuck us, everybody else is better than us, liberals that we've seen our entire lives. So, I just, it just disgusts me. But it wasn't as disgusting... As this soundbite, this is eight minutes of the greatest generation, the 75th anniversary, 75th, and this is how our media played D-Day. And what they were fighting for were American values. They were fighting to stop tyranny, uh, to spread democracy, uh, to defeat Hitler, uh, to create a better world at the end of the day. What you wonder now is whether in the world we live in today those values remain a major part of american policy and for all the pomp and circumstance that the president reveled in in london bill we are as far apart from our british allies and our french allies there are real divisions with a president who is really the first president in seventy years to challenge the post-war world war ii order 
and I think if I have one takeaway from the state visit to the UK, which is now over, it was the desperate, almost desperate British or European attempt to bind President Trump, to almost lasso him into those ties that bind. The Europeans trying to drag President Trump back into NATO. One of the themes again here tomorrow will be to bind President Trump into that common purpose once again. I think it's very difficult with Trump though because he is an egomaniac. Everything has to be his victory. These people didn't die for Franklin Roosevelt or Winston Churchill. And you got to make a call. Enough with the talk. Do your duty. That is your reason to be. That is the point of your existence. Our Constitution makes it clear. The House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. Sole power means what it sounds like. This is up to you. No one else. No other body. That's what the Constitution's about. Checks and balances. They either function or they don't. It is time to stop acting out of fear of consequence and act on good conscience. Will Democrats be satisfied with months of stymied efforts and more than 10 different investigations moving in different and often confounding directions? With a White House that can stymie the efforts for who knows how long, basically showing that concentrated resistance trumps the Constitution. Is that the message you want on your watch? You got one in four Democrats in the House that want to take the next step. It's not that much. We put up all those pictures. It looks impressive, but it isn't. This won't be an easy call. It is instructive that almost every one of the people running to be your nominee in the next election for president are in favor of taking this step. Remember, they're going to pay the biggest price if this is judged to be a bad or just political move. So maybe the best answer is what Chairman Nadler is arguing, an impeachment inquiry. Not official proceedings. You're not going to put down the articles of impeachment. You're not looking to charge. But it's the real deal in terms of maximal effective force of Congress in the courts. Consolidate all the efforts into one committee and then get it done quickly. And don't you showboat. Let the other committees work on the myriad matters of importance to the American people. Where it leads. How it ends. You can't know. And that should not be your guide. Do your duty. This is D-Day. We're celebrating people making the ultimate sacrifice only out of a matter of duty. Thanks, David. So part of the goal of our report is to point out that there are three major groups in the United States that need to respond to the Russian attacks since our election. There's obviously Facebook and Twitter and the other tech companies. There's the government and the media overall. And so in our report, we lay out, which is 108 pages, we lay out a number of recommendations for all three of those groups of how they can work together. I'm glad we're talking about this on the anniversary of D-Day. My, my grandfather was actually there off the coast of Normandy 75 years ago in the USS Borum. Mm. And those young men on that ship had all of American society behind them when they were fighting the enemy. But we have not been able to motivate American society to fight what is a very, very real threat against our democracy, which is foreign interference. And so hopefully we're, we're going to try to get people to think about less about the political recriminations, to stop blaming each other for 2016, and to start to implement some pretty reasonable bipartisan solutions to fix these issues before the next presidential election. Tragic mystery to me. I, I want to say that first and foremost. And I want to remind everybody that after we were attacked in Pearl Harbor, after we were attacked on September 11th, we had major bipartisan commissions that investigated those attacks and then tried to prepare us for the future. 
we didn't do that after this attack for partisan political reasons because the president wouldn't acknowledge the attack and he still has a really hard time acknowledging that we were I was reading uh, what you've written about your father he was a congressman from Maryland and he went up against the president FDR on the issue of letting refugees in, the Jews from Europe who needed to escape the Holocaust were being barred by the United States. And he really fought politically to open the doors. What does that tell us about America and how America should be welcoming to refugees and asylum seekers? Do you worry that the arguments we're having now about borders and immigration um, threaten the kind of response that the values that these men fought and died for. And as Christian was saying during the president's remarks, he talked about that unbreakable bond that exists between the United States and the alliance uh, that liberated Europe and began uh, to defeat the Nazis during World War II. That is obviously going to, I think, uh, put not to rest, but at ease some of the concerns over here in Europe as to how committed President Trump is to the NATO alliance. Uh, there, there was certainly a lot of uh, the right messaging in that speech that I think a lot of European leaders want to hear. Now, one thing we should point out, one of the reasons why President Trump was delayed, one of the reasons why he was late getting here, he was sitting down with uh, a Fox News personality before his speech began. And so it's possible he was dishing out a lot of that red meat while he was sitting down with Fox before giving this speech. But, you know, honestly, I think you have to put all of that to the side and recognize that this was just a really captivating, stirring, uh, remarkable moment for the entire world to witness uh, as politics was just put, it, put aside, washed aside, uh, as we remember the bravery and courage of these men. The emotional ceremony in Portsmouth, attended by world leaders and the Queen. My father, King George VI, said... What is demanded from us all is something more than courage and endurance. We need a revival of spirit. The President and First Lady greeting those humble heroes who again made the journey across the Atlantic, this time to commemorate the battle that turned the tide in World War II. The president himself never joined the military, receiving draft deferments during Vietnam, but was asked in an interview airing today if he wishes he had served. I was not a fan of that war. That war was not something would that Would you like to have served generally, perhaps in another... I would not have minded that at all. I would have been honored, but I think I'd make up for it right now. In that same sit-down, President Trump again responded to Meghan Markle's criticism of him in 2016. And with as misogynistic as Trump is and so vocal about it. She was nasty to me, and that's okay for her to be nasty. It's not good for me to be nasty to her, and I wasn't. And in fact, I think she's doing very well. But those comments never came up in conversation with her husband, Prince Harry, according to the president. I congratulated him, and I think he's a terrific guy. The royal family is really nice. And even after his meeting with Harry's father, Prince Charles, who's passionate about climate change, the president continued to question the scientific consensus on the issue. Do you personally believe in climate change? I believe that there's a change in weather, and I think it changes both ways. Also in that interview, the president says he would prefer talk over military action in Iran, a topic that may come up when President Trump sits down with the French president tomorrow here in France. That'll be after the president delivers a speech here on these sacred grounds.
I mean, good God, every angle, Trump, 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 Trump's horrible, Trump's horrible, Trump's horrible, Trump's horrible. They can't even take a day off on a day that's supposed to be a commemoration of the greatness of America. I mean, if you really think about what liberals say, the only time we were good in the world was during World War II. Unfortunately, the people during World War II that were liberals did not think that, and they were protesting also. It's just never, ever really talked about. That just disgusts me. I heard some of us driving down the road flipping channels on Sirius, and I would just be like, are you fucking shitting me? You can't take a day off. And what was the old day? Or the old... The old adage, uh, oh, by the way, you can't talk about the president when he's on a foreign shore. Wasn't that what we used to say? I mean, under Obama, you couldn't fucking talk about the president, periodly, period. But seriously, that that's, that's how we act on that day. Which is summed up by the following. CNN has double-digit monthly rating loss of primetime again. In May, the channel lost 16% of its weekday evening audience for the previous month, falling to just 761,000 viewers and winding up dead last among such cable networks as liberal rival MSDNC and Fox. According to an article by our friend John Nolte, the embattled CNN, which also always lands lands in far last place and axed more than 100 jobs already this year, had about as bad a rating month as possible in May. Its primetime hours were only able to average a measly 761,000 viewers, while the fake news outlet Total Day Viewer dove 9% to just 559,000. For comparison, Fox has 2.34 million and 1.34 million at night. Maybe they're not getting through. I hope they're not because it's pretty horrible. Um, the next thing I found, uh, wanted to touch on furious celebs want Trump impeached and assaulted. This was just in the end of May and the beginning of June. All right. Trump is haunting their dreams now. One of the things I stopped doing is do not read the news at night because I, I was waking up in the middle of the night from, from a nightmare of just screaming. I had one dream. I was in a boardroom. There was a long table, and I was just the guy who's in the Oval Office right now sitting there. And I walked in, and I was screaming, screaming, don't you care about the next generation? I was going crazy at him and screaming and yelling. And that was 2016. I woke in a sweat, and I went, oh, my God, I've gone insane. Julian Margulis, the good wife. Trump turned over Saudis to be tortured to death. Impeachment would be just the beginning of what he deserves, you know, not even scratching the surface of what he deserves. I think we should turn him over to the Saudis, you know, his buddies. The same Saudis, you know, who got rid of that reporter. You know, maybe they could do the same for him. Fran Lebowitz on real time. Wishing Trump gets sexually assaulted in prison. Been giving impeachment much thought throughout the day, and I would love to see Trump impeached. Brought to trial, locked up in prison, and toy boy of Big Bubba. That was Cher. I hate that they normalize a man, Donald Trump, was so abnormal. His approach to the way he speaks, that the things that he believes, that there were 500 prosecutors who said if he weren't president, he should be indicted. 500! You can't get 500 prosecutors to agree on anything. Tiger Woods took a moment and forgot the significance of it and took time to normalize a monster. D.L. Hewley on a deal legally show. Pro-abortion actor rage against pro-life Republicans. I love the people of Alabama and want to punch their politicians in the cock. 
Liz Winstead. Stay out of our snatches, you bastards. Samantha B. Again, misogyny is a reptilian brainstem of right-wing ideology. It is not a bug, it's a feature. Wake the fuck up. Bradley Whitford. Handmaid's Tale is real now. And instead of talking about it, we're going to play it. This was literally on Reliable Sources. And everyone, as they watch Handmaid's Tale, thinks about what's happening in this country right now. How close or how far do you think America really is to the fictional hellscape of Gilead? A heck of a lot closer than we were season one, Hmm. which is terrifying. Only a couple of years ago, then the country has... When I, gone that when far I saw what's going on in Georgia, I literally thought, this can't be real. It stunned me, the, the degree uh, of, uh, of what's going on in the anti-abortion world. I just thought, it can't, this cannot be America. I mean, I don't know. It, it was scary in season one. Hmm. But then Trump, of course, and then th- suddenly we thought, well, let's get real here. Margaret Atwood wrote a speculative fiction 35 years ago. However, she created that world, the world of Gilead, all by using historical fact. Um, and, and of course, it felt to us like this is a warning. Um, it's a really important warning. We were seeing the rise of the alt-right. Brexit was certainly uh, on the horizon. We were feeling that things were changing. Hmm. And now... A few years later, we're feeling it's arrived. We're on a very, very slippery slope to Gilead yes. right now. And I think that's what Ann and I are feeling. That's certainly what we feel when we do the show. We went to Washington uh, this year for the show. We shot um, on, the, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And um, it was wow. chilling because as we were trying to do content that is about... Uh, human rights and and protecting women's rights um, over in the Rose Garden they were talking about eliminating them. You know I've reviewed it for the show and we talked about it quite a bit because the left is so just obsessed with this but I'm watching it and it's just fucking horrible folks. It's not even good anymore it used to have kind of a plot now it's just zoom ins on the lead character's face making terrible faces because of the misogyny I watched the first four episodes. We watched it yesterday. It just wasn't that good. You got a Leatherman one. Let me think. Bill Maher. It's the same shit. Nothing stopped over the last whatever. I think I did one on the 25th. So we're we're about three weeks down the road. And it's just not. There's no difference. They're, they're just fucking horrible. Then we got some abortion stuff. Abortions are not just for women, preaches HuffPost. The pro-abortion movement is apparently not woke enough for the liberal media and LGBTQ community. In a June 6th HuffPost piece, two transgender individuals expressed their frustration with Planned Parenthood's inability to gender them correctly. Not only does the current pro-abortion system misgender members of the LGBTQ community, but it's also designed to fail because it was created by cisgender people for cisgender people. The piece headline, Women Aren't the Only People Who Get Abortions, was probably the first and only... You can't even, how do you even write that? Oh my God, the article asserted even the most progressive health organizations like PPFA are still not up to speed on some of the most rudimentary ways to give competent and compassionate care to trans and non-binary folks. For non-binary and transgender people, abortion is a different emotional process. According to Jack QME Gutierrez, a non-binary person who uses the pronoun they-them, interviewed by HuffPo. 
The piece detailed complaints of being misgendered by the Planned Parenthood staff. According to Gutierrez, the experience was violating because I feel like I always have to justify my existence and explain why I need to be treated like a human being. What violation did Planned Parenthood make that caused the patient to be so uncomfortable? They said miss and male. So they literally are recognizing you as a woman, but you're acting like a dude, but that's still not good enough. These fucking people, I'm not reading any more of that shit. My son hit me on um, text and supposedly, well, not supposedly, there's a huge amount of reparation now. I mean, we're in that window with every DNC presidential nominee saying that we all need to pay money to people that might have been slaves, descendants, and if we don't do that, we're pieces of shit. Well, Vox has gone to the next level, and there's a huge group, and I can't find the article. I'm going to keep looking for it for next Friday's uh, podcast. But supposedly, there's a movement under the, the LGBT guide on that we need to pay them reparations because we treated them so poorly. I mean, not them now, but I guess gay people in the past. So they deserve money because of gay people in the past. It'll never stop. A huge thing that came out, and I wanted to highlight it directly, was... The New York Times running an elaborate front page Sunday smear of YouTube conservatives. And I'm not going to read the whole article. I'm just going to break it down. Um, because the picture is fringe people. I mean, there are some fringe people on YouTube. White nationalists, <clears throat> all sorts of shit. But in this picture, there's normal podcasters. Normal people mixed in with fringe people, but it happens to be all righties. And throughout this article, it's a kid that says he started re-watching these YouTube videos. And understand, this motherfucker had a history of over 20,000 videos. So he is an obsessive compulsive person. And he started watching some of this stuff, and he became a conservative, and then he started becoming super conservative, and he started becoming right-wing because he started getting feeds from YouTube saying suggestions. And because, like the New York Times, YouTube, Google, everybody, they lump in Ben Shapiro, me with the KKK, because we're all the same. Remember, it's a gateway drug. He would get suggestions for horrible shit. And then... He realized he was horrible, and then he started backtracking and lifting to far left-wing creators. But they didn't have a problem with that. You know, far, far, like the Young Turks and all the crazy shit they've done. That's okay. And so now, Google CEO, YouTube will begin targeting content which doesn't exactly violate policies. That's where they're going to go with it. And this just all ties in to that one piece we played months ago of that lady saying, I found my son listening to Ben Shapiro and he is the gateway drug to the alt-right. 
Do we remember that? And we're going into an election season. So let's just do the math on the concept. They are going to silence everything. Social media will silence all conservatives running for office. They will lump you in with the KKK. And they will let all liberal voices be shoved. If you think this is like only for big people, understand when I first started this podcast, I listed it under iTunes, Google, everything, right? Knowing that most people were going to come along with it was word of mouth. You might get it in the podcast app or whatever app you're using. You might go to SoundCloud and find it. When I initially did it, I could put flyover politics with a CS and it would show up in Google. I could even put fly over and it would come up. Now I have to spell it perfectly for it to come up in a search. Because there's no doubt Google listens to everything else. They're listening to me right now on this phone I have here because I have the stupid music setting set on because I've been watching a lot of TV. And they listen to it. And thus it's alt-rightish. It's wrong. Think. I don't think that transgenderism is normal or that important. I think it's a mental health issue, but I don't stop people from doing it, but that's an opinion you can't have in this modern world. But they're going to silence everything. This is no different than in the 2012 cycle when Obama quelled conservative-leading 501Cs. They want no other thoughts out there. There's only one right thought, and that is their thought. And because they own the network areas, they own media, social media, they they just going to free flow whoever they fucking throw up there. And I hate to say it, it's not going to work. They haven't got it through their head. They didn't get it through their head in 2004 when they try to get rid of fucking Bush. All they do is push the normal people towards the candidate they hate because we're Americans. The more you tell an American what he's supposed to think, the more he thinks the other way or digs his heels on their own opinion. Dark Phoenix is case in point. She comes out. I'm not going to work in Georgia. This is horrible. But it's flaming out the box office, managing a disappointing $33 million in its opening weekend. That was in 3,721 theaters. It didn't start a little bit. It started all over the country. And it flamed the fuck out. And I just think that's some funny shit. So, case in point. A person wasn't going to work in Georgia. Got to ask the question. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, by the way, yeah, I worked in Ireland. But Game of Thrones is over. Oh, fucking don't listen about that shit. And... You had to go out there and run your cock trap, but now your movie's sucking buttermilk. Part of it's because it's a shitty fucking movie. The other part is, people are sick of being told what to fucking think, folks. They're just sick of it. So, we're not going to have a music break, but we're going into news, social, media nuggets. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that meets your host lose his mind. Go. 
we start with our military corner. 101st Airborne soldiers win 2019 Best Ranger Competition. A pair of 101st Airborne Division soldiers won the nationwide 2019 Best Ranger Competition. Another 101st team came in third, and all 301st teams that began the tech competition completed it. That's significant considering that 39 of the 55 teams that began the competition were unable to finish. Rangers in the 101st Airborne Division lead the way, said Major General Brian Wazinski. Winsky, when Kit, well, I don't know how to say his name. I should know. I live here, but I don't. 101st Commander, I couldn't be prouder of our three Screaming Eagle Best Ranger competition teams, including the winning team of Captain Rose and Captain Bergerman from the 3rd Brigade Combat Team. Rock us on! The third place team was 1st Lieutenant Nathan Pennick from 1st Battalion 187 Infantry and 1st Lieutenant Edward Yonkink a New Hampshire native of 1st Squadron 7th Cavalry from 2nd Brigade Combat Team. That's the 5-0-Deuce. And then the team that plays 16th was from the 5-0-6th Infantry and the 33rd Cavalry Regiment, 3rd BCT. So of the winners, a lot of Rakasans out there. That's pretty damn cool. Fallujah Vet will be 1st Living Medal of Honor recipient from Iraq War former Army Staff Sergeant who took on an enemy fighter at close range, first with an M249 light machine gun, and then with a knife, will first living veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom to get the Medal of Honor. David S. Balavia, 43, of Batavia, New York, will have a Silver Star upgraded to the highest military award for valor on June 25th ceremony. Um, the news of the award was first posted on the American Leisure Burn Pit blog Thursday and then confirmed by Army Times. The White House is expected to announce the award next week. And he was a bad motherfucker. So, nice to see that these reviews are starting to work. Sad news, less than 20% of the B-1 Lancers are operational due to neglect by the Air Force. They're claiming it's because all the bombing runs in Afghanistan... But last time I checked lately, not a lot of bombing runs in Afghanistan. I don't want to get that fixed. A cool thing I saw on Twitter, U.S. Department of Defense. On Wednesday, torrential rains and drastic wind gusts overcame America's most hollowed grounds. Visitors ran for cover. News media piled into vehicles together. The streets flooded. Trees as old as the cemetery itself broke up the trunk and came crashing down. But... America's regiment endured. They found low ground and held fast to the wind and the rain. Some had to be ordered to stand down from planting flags, still determined to continue to honor the fallen. One of the most extraordinary displays of discipline and dedication to duty over the witness at Arlington National was taking place at the Tomb of the Unknown. With only a few watching from cover, a tomb sentinel approached the unknown with U.S. flags in hand. As thunder shook the ground and rain washed down, the tomb sentinel pierced through the elements with breathtaking precision. He knelt and placed the flags in honor of the unknowns. Humans have their limits, but U.S. Army Old Guard is yet to meet theirs. Know your military. Yeah, that's pretty fucking badass. So, wanted to cover that and then move into this. During our video tour, we watched Black Hawk Down. And I have another article we'll cover in a longer podcast about the long arm of this that it, it changed what we do so much. But interesting things have come out and one of them is a snippet of a documentary return to mogadishu now this is about 13 minutes long but since i'm doing short podcasts because i don't have much time to do them 
thought this would be a good listen. So I'm going to play this, and we'll go into our college crazy. Say again? I, I drove these roads 20 years ago. You? Yes. Yeah. 1993. 1993, yes. There is a great deal But to be honest with you, it is a fraction of what really happened in Somalia. If you look at all the bullet holes around here, most of these are from us. Life and death became a lot less significant for me in Mogadishu. I don't know if that's a piece of me that's still over there. I don't know if that's something that I left there. I don't know if that's just who I am now. I don't know the answer to that. It was my job to lead the Humvees on all of the missions that Task Force Ranger did in Somalia. For the first 30 minutes, man, this thing went down like clockwork, except for one of the Rangers who was flying in on the Blackhawks. Todd Blackburn, when he left the Blackhawk to slide down the rope, he missed the rope and he fell somewhere between 70 and 90 feet from the helicopter. So as soon as I got to the target building, I was already getting a call to take Todd Blackburn back to the base and drop him off. And when I turned the corner, I got hit with the most intense enemy gunfire I've ever experienced in my life. In the course of one or two city blocks, Dominic Pillar was killed behind me, and most of the vehicles were shot to pieces. For the first time, I started to panic, and everybody around me started to panic. And I was thinking, I know I'm going to die. When I finally made it back to the airfield, I was surprised that any of us survived. In fact, I took my helmet off and I threw it. I was so angry at what I just went through, threw it across the blacktop. And that's almost the exact moment that my platoon leader said, Jeff, Mike Durant's helicopter's crashed in the city and we don't have anybody else who can go back out there. I need you to get your men, get back on the Humvees, go back out to the Durant crash site and see if anybody's alive there. I started to clean the blood and the brain matter off of the sides of this Humvee, getting ready to go back out into the city streets. And I was listening over the radio as this operation was spinning out of control and people's voices were getting more and more terrified. I started thinking about my family. I started thinking, God, I'm going to die in the next few minutes. Everything inside of me was thinking, don't go back out there. So at that point, I just kept doing what I was doing and I started praying, God, I'm in big trouble now and I know I'm going to die and I need your help. Whatever you want to happen to me tonight, God, I'm putting my life and my future in your hands. It was in an instant, as soon as I said that, I was still totally convinced that I was going to die. But from that moment, the rest of the night, I didn't fear death at all. I think that is the only thing that gave me the courage to get on Humvees and drive back out in the city streets repeatedly. What nobody has done at this point from Task Force Ranger who was in Somalia, nobody's gone back there. A good friend of mine, Kenny Thomas, who is in Somalia with me, called me out of the blue and said, Jeff, are you interested in going to Somalia? 
And I was the one telling Kenny, do you realize how dangerous Somalia and specifically how dangerous Mogadishu is? And he said, look, man, I'm willing to go if you're willing to go. I don't feel much emotional difference today than I did flying into Mogadishu 20 years ago. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. I haven't specifically thought of what it's going to be like, you know, for me personally or emotionally or psychologically going back over there. Probably haven't thought about it on purpose. Uh, the security supervisor uh, here at Mogadishu for SKA. The situation in Mogadishu is, I can say, it's not any better. There's a lot more activity still happening. IEDs, roadside, grenade attack. Uh, drive-by shooting is still happening. I will not advise that we go into Makara heavy. Hey, how's it on the other side, man? Hi, Rain. Hey, Jeff, uh, do you recognize anything yet? All right, so anything on your right should be the Wolcott crash site, and right up here where those trees are to your left should be the Durant crash site. I was parked right here. In fact, I can still recognize some of those buildings that I spent the whole night parked in front of. So this is how you came in to get us, right? That's right. I think if you bang a right up here by this large five-story building, you're going to get real close to the original target building. Oh, Jeff, tell the driver we're going to go right. All right, we got it. Take a ride. Roger. Hey, Kenny, you know that we're in the Bacara market right now, right? Acutely. This is what the roads look like with people, except for the people all have guns. in the area of town that everybody said don't go into right now because it's very dangerous hey jeff let's just tell the team we're gonna find our way out of here pretty quick yeah sounds good hey will you call them and tell them to go north to um to whatever and then let's go back down to your list no don't turn back tell them to go north hit uh, 21 october and go down via Lynn. the roadblock it's okay keep going keep going you're good It is? That's your house? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we did a lot of shooting back here 20 years ago by your house. Is this Hobbledig? Yeah, Hobbledig. Yeah, okay. We got into a big firefight right here, man. I drove down a narrow alleyway next to the Target building, and then I made a right turn onto that road. And when I made a right turn onto that road, that's where I got hit with about couple of hundred to a thousand enemy fighters within a few city blocks. That's where Dominic Pilla was killed. That's where the majority of the initial firefight that I experienced was there. And to this day, it's still the most intense firefight I've ever been in. What I remember thinking distinctly when we were driving back into the city the second and third time is, okay, I know I'm gonna die, but I know where I'm gonna spend my eternity. Now I just need to do everything necessary to make sure that my men don't die. 
can't believe I survived that. Good gracious. There's no real explanation why I'm standing here right now. Today, driving back through the city streets, I think that's as close as I've come to the feelings of Somalia 20 years ago in Black Hawk Down. And today really, really drove this home for me. When this firefight was over with, a lot of guys were coming up to my little cot saying, you've got something that I don't have. What is it? You, you, you were able to do something that I wasn't able to do. I can hear it in your voice over the radio. What is it? I was very calm. I had made peace with God. I was ready to die in the next few moments. And it influenced the way that I fought. And seeing that spot today, where I washed the blood out of the back of the Humvees and where God gave me the sense of peace has reminded me that death really became less significant to me in Somalia. And I wonder if life and death here on earth became less significant because eternity became so much more real to me in Somalia. The very fact that I'm standing here in Mogadishu, Somalia, 20 years after the Battle of Black Hawk Down is conclusive proof that Jesus is real and that faith in Jesus Christ will make all of the difference in your life. When these warriors were coming up to me and asking me questions, and these are some of the toughest men on the planet, asking me questions about life and death. Jeff, what happened to my best friend who just died? And Jeff, what happens to me if I get on a helicopter or a Humvee? My answer to all of them was the same. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, whatever happens to you here on planet Earth, He's with you. And when you die, death is not the end for somebody who has faith in Jesus Christ. It's the beginning. It's a door you walk through, and He's waiting for you with eternity on the other side. So I would tell those men, listen, here's the deal. All of us are born into sin. And the consequences of sin, the Bible is very clear about this, is death. Sin equals death. And having committed one sin, one time, you deserve to die. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 8 that if you sin, you become a slave to sin and you can't earn your way free. So I try to tell those guys, look, you can't go to church enough to become free from your sin. You can't work hard enough to get freedom from your sin. You can't give money. You can't read the Bible. You can't even pray hard enough to earn your freedom from your sin. It's, you're shackled to it. And there's no way you can become free unless God steps in and does something. Then I explain to those guys, the answer is that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, was willing to leave heaven, lived a perfect life, willing to go to the cross, and the only man who never deserved to die died in your place and in my place so that your sins could be paid for once and for all. But not only did he die, three days later he rose again so that death would no longer have hold on anybody who has faith in Jesus Christ. And then I told him, if you will turn your heart 
and surrender your soul to your Creator, to Jesus Christ, He will radically transform your life like He did mine. And you'll never have to worry about what life is going to throw at you next. Because now you've got a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You Now you have somebody who will never bail on you when life gets tough. And no matter how bad your future gets, He will be right there with you. And He will get you through whatever life is throwing at you next. And that and that alone settles once and for all where you stand with God and what your eternity is going to be like. But then I'd also tell them, if you turn around and you walk away from this and don't turn it all over to Jesus Christ, the consequences for that is that you spend an eternity separated from God from ever. You'll spend an eternity in hell. And now the ball's in your court. What do you want to do about it? And I had a number of men who sat down next to me and surrendered their life to Jesus Christ in a simple prayer. The prayer was something like, God, I admit it. I've made a mess of my life. I'm a sinner and I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I believe you sent your son Jesus who died in my place. I believe that three days later he rose again and right here where I'm sitting, I'm turning my life and my future over to you. I trust you with whatever happens to me next. That's the kind of prayer that I prayed when God radically transformed my life through faith in Jesus. And God transformed a lot of those guys who survived Somalia with me through faith in Jesus, and he can do the exact same thing for you. We start our college crazy with the most blatantly political statements during college commencement street. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton at Cooney Hunter College took to the Hunter College stage last week to comment on recent statements made by former Special Counsel Robert Mueller. We got to deal with what has been investigated and reported just today before this graduation ceremony started. We heard from Special Counsel Mueller, who said there were multiple systematic problems to interfere in our election, and the allegations deserve the attention of every American. But what we've seen from the administration is a complete refusal to condemn a foreign power or attack our democracy. What she didn't say is that she worked with a foreign power and steal a foreigner to try to get Trump. So shut your fucking dirty hole. Nancy Pelosi also got political in her commencement address when she spoke about recently discussed proposed immigration reform bills. Pelosi encouraged comprehensive immigration reform to be passed in the House before shouting out to the crowd, Any dreamers in the House? Shut the fuck up. Dan Freemeyer, Baylor University, a local pastor in missional engagement in Fort Worth, Texas, made several comments on climate change and straight white men. And God gave them the moral Im- imagination to reject the old keys that we're turning to give them to a planet that we're poisoning by ruining it on fossil fuels and misplaced priorities. A planet with too many straight white men like me behind the steering wheel, while others have been expected to sit quietly in the back of the bus. Oh, really? Stephen Thrasher, New York University. Stephen Thrasher went to NYU Graduate School of Arts and Science, praised the NYU students' governments for its anti-Semitism. Oh, good for them. I am so proud, so proud of NYU's chapter of Student Justice of Palestine, Jewish Voice for Peace, and I'm proud of NYU student government and my colleagues in the department when we played it on the show. So, yeah, he's a fucking piece of fucking shit. Camp reform analysis, despite this collection of political statements, colleges appear to be choosing more politically diverse speakers in the past years. Campus reform analysis of the nation's 50th largest college, a majority of commencement speakers in 2019 have been apolitical. Of the 50 schools, only 26 speakers had a measurable lean to the right or left, 15 liberal, 11 partially conservative. Yeah. They're starting to get smart. 
we're paying for it, so shut your fucking politics down. Student government press photo, press post photo of BLM flag covering the stars and stripe. University of North Texas student government president posted a photo of her standing beside the United States flag covering it up with a BLM flag. A Yolina Ogbu, who was recently elected president of the UNT Student Government Association, took to Twitter Wednesday to post before versus after images are covering a U.S. flag with a flag that features a white fist on a black backboard with the white block letters BLM. Incident occurred in what appears to be a UNT SGA office space. Also, it's not clear on whose office wall the flags are hung. Several posts from the official UNT SGA social media account show the office space where the U.S. flag used to be. Mm-hmm. And of course, during the code, that's some bull fucking shit. But that doesn't surprise me. Alleged Antifa member arrested after attempting to chain lock. College Republicans into a room. Isn't that so nice? Police arrested and charged with disorderly conduct Wednesday. A masked individual who attempted to chain the door of the University of Washington Seattle College Republican meeting. The group last met meeting of the spring term featured a guest speech by the host of Operation Cold Front, a local conservative YouTube channel known for man on the street style videos. It's hard to know if the plan was just to lock the door or leave us in there or do anything worse. Oh, that's just free speech, right? Hmm. Then the college that I bought a hat of, because it's right next to my kids, my grandkids, and my daughter, NDSU, North Dakota State University, defends paying Planned Parenthood over 165 k in a single year. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, it's, it's good. It's no big deal, right? What the fuck? Socialist groups celebrate literally no straight people. The Young Democratic Socialists of America chapter at Texas State University boasted a Twitter about not having any straight members on its e-board and coordinating committee after calling to guillotine bourgeois traders. Yeah. Bourgeois. Yeah, that's fucking really nice. Happy Pride Month, y'all. Remember this month. Let's guillotine bourgeois traders. Uh, tweet us and uh, Wesley Webbit. Also, shout out to our e-board coordinating committee, which is literally no straight people on it. Pride. Mm-hmm. That was another thing that came up is like Trump's a piece of shit because he won't put gay pride flags on U.S. embassies. What well, you can't. You don't have to put any other flag. It's U.S. ground. I guarantee you wouldn't want a army flag or a church flag, would you? Jackasses. University of Michigan decides facial feminization surgeries, Adam Apple reductions, are medically necessary. We're just going to let that stand, because I know. Not necessary. I have a mental illness. Nobody's, nothing's necessary for my mental illness. School apologizes for offensive photos of language department teachers wearing sombreros. And fake mustaches. It's at San Pasquale High School, and they got their ass handed to them, which I thought was funny. Then we covered it once before, but it's getting a lot of traction. And I did listen to Alyssa Milano's podcast. As you notice, I didn't really talk about it, because I'm scarred by listening to that bullshit. My God, she goes into haiku and poetry. But it's really bad poetry, like LGBT poetry and women's rights poetry and 
It's just fucking horrible. The grandkids strike. Here's an idea. Change your parents' bad voting habits by refusing to breed. The actress and activist Alyssa Milano has drawn criticism in recent weeks for encouraging women to stop having sex and protest abortion bans of GOP and recently passed in several legislators. It's reminding people that we have control of our own bodies. <laughs> Those wins aside, sex strikes rest as some faulty premises. The women don't have sexual needs of their own. The sex is a gift for women to bestow on upon others. And that women only have sex with men. Plus, women and men in the U.S. have very similar views about abortion. Women are even slightly more likely to call themselves pro-life. The Republican men working to pass abortion bans are far more likely to be sleeping with women who share their opinions than with those withholding sex for political reasons. But I admit that the prospects of harassing one's sexual and reproductive powers for social good is a tempting one. So I'd like to present what I humbly consider a much better proposal. Instead of a sex strike, let's try a grandkid strike. This idea stemmed from a tweet by comedian and writer Ashley Nicole Black, who got a phone call from presidential candidate Senator Elizabeth Pocahontas Warren after asking if the famously proposal-happy senator had a plan to fix my love life. After the two women spoke, Black summed up their conversation on Twitter. We have a plan to get my mom's grandkids, she wrote. It's very comprehensive, and it does involve raising taxes on billionaires. Black surely meant this is a joke, but as Slate, some of us wondered if she just happened upon a brilliant new weapon of progressivism. Framing liberal policy platforms is the only way you'll get grandkids. We'll make my dad Pokemon go to the polls. One of my college colleagues mused. Another said a grandkid strike would be like Handmaid's Tale, but in a good way. Meaning, I assume, that it's exactly the kind of radical response today's radical threat to equity, justice, and humanity demand. It's time to demand that baby boomers and Gen Xers decide which they'd rather have. Their vague attachment to policies that have poisoned the earth and will soon make it difficult for anyone but the obesely wealthy to live healthy, happy lives. Or a pack of adorable munchkins and itty-bitty suspenders already are ready for unlimited tickle fights and cookie baking sessions. The parents who will die if her adult child does not procreate with haste is one reductive stereotype that already almost entirely based in the truth. I have never met a parent who isn't already dreaming about how much fun it will be to have a few roly-poly wee ones who are ultimately someone else's responsibility. I've already decided that I'm not having kids and even I desperately want some grandkids to spoil and squeeze and take it to the zoo. I'm starting to think that whatever innate desire compels some people to have children is actually a subliminal thirst for grandchildren, a first step towards a goal that's an entire generation away. But for children of those who would be grandparents, having kids of their own is becoming less and less attractive option. Child care is extravagantly expensive and paid family leave is a rare luxury. Bringing in a new set of chubby cheeks and wonderfully incomprehensive babbling into the world is the most destructive thing one couple could do to the planet. And it just devolves from there to fuck your parents, don't have kids, because the planet's dying. What the fuck is wrong with these people? If I was the parent of you, I wouldn't want you to have kids, because you're a fucking bitch. Equity, male NCAA track star, switches to female senior year and cleans up. Name woman's most outstanding track performer. Here we go again. NCAA track star CeCe Telfler is cleaning up in the women's track, breaking records and racking up points for Franklin Pierce University. Teffler, nobly, is a biological male, now identifies as a female. Last year, CeCe, then going by his birthday in Craig, was a top athlete in the men's division, but he didn't win. So then he came over and just took over the shit and 
did records that they've never seen. Because he's a dude. But that's not even the crazy one. You want to hear the crazy one? I mean, did you see the picture of this guy? Girl. Guy, girl. Girl, guy. Whatever. This one, transgender hurdler who just won NCAA Women's National Championship. Me competing against cisgender females is a disadvantage. I have to keep up all my workouts. I can't drink. I can't eat unhealthy. Or else I'm going to impact me harder. Oh, really? Really? And that's the same person. C.C. Tefler. Full quote. My body is going through so many medical implications. I'm going through biochemistry changes. So being on hormone replacement therapy results in muscle depletion. Your muscles aren't deteriorating. You lose a lot of strength because testosterone is where you get your strength, your agility. So I have to work twice as hard to keep that strength. And if I slack a day, that's like three days set behind. So I have to keep up all my workouts. I can't drink, can't eat unhealthy, or else I'm going to impact me harder. Well, you're just evening the field. Women don't have the levels of testosterone you have, and that's biology, and I'm sorry if that fucking hurts your feelings. But biology trumps feelings, folks. Biology. This shit, I can't believe women put up with this shit. If I was a, you know, a, you know, a fucking female, uh... Oh my god, feminist. There we go. I'm trying to get out of my head. If I was a feminist, I'd be blowing the fuck up over this dumb shit. Yet the media just keeps pushing it, man. Washington Post. On gender fluidity as Women's World Cup soccer approaches. On Tuesday, Team USA, blah, blah, blah. While the Washington Post reports the team has much more important things on its agenda. In fact, four team members are pushing for radical cultural change. And a whole team is suing U.S. soccer for gender discrimination. Post Gina McGregor report that Re-Inc., the company started by Megan Klinkensberg, Megan Rapinoe, and Tobin Heath, and Kristen Press, is designed to be gender neutral and highlight issues like equality and inclusivity. Klingenberg said a woman's player were always qualified, as I just did, as female athletes, and we want to be able to change the narrative, she said. They want the freedom to fight for something instead of what our country wants us to represent, and we want to create our own value. McGregor says the concept is being launched at a time when young consumers are more likely than ever to be aware of gender fluidity and less likely to categorize products as just for men or just for women. Cosmetics companies have been showcasing gender-neutral advertisements and ad campaigns. A poll of millennials found that 50% believe the concept of gender is a spectrum. Millennials and Gen Z consumers increasingly expect gender-neutral advertising in the toy and fashion industry. Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's women's soccer! What do you want it to be called? Play against the men and see how good you are, Team USA. You get smoked. I don't care what your feelings say. I don't care what your social justice says. I don't care what your Twitter and Facebook timeline says. You'd get smoked. Then to the gay front. Well, we had the gay hamster thing last month. Now we got... My Little Pony's a lesbian. I shit you fucking not. Yeah. My Little Pony's a lesbian. The writers of My Little Pony have confirmed that the latest season of the show will see two new characters, Aunt Holiday and Aunt Lofty. The first episode include the same-sex couple where on June 15th, right in the middle of Pride Month. A photo of the characters was tweeted by a fan account. My Little Pony writer Michael Vogel commented on immense, What a cute lesbian couple! Woohoo! Why do they have to shove everything down everybody's throat? Why? 
Why? If this is such a fucking gender neutral, nothing matters, well, Boston tried to do a straight Pride Month and you guys DX that shit. I wanted to cover it so bad it hurt my teeth. It wasn't bad. And then you have this, which just goes against everything, and this is in the same liberal vein. Women are happier without children or a spouse, says happiness expert. So my question is, is you're saying it's better not to have children, and we're going to kill the planet and we have children, and women feel this, women feel that, but we're not supposed to call them women, we're supposed to call them Unix soccer team. What the fuck, what the fuck, Jack? You guys make no sense, your circular logic on a goddamn Excel spreadsheet. You want women's rights, but you don't want women to be called women. Okay. Then AOC brings us in, and I'm not going to read her tweets because I want an AOC-free event. Poll male managers now uncomfortable mentoring female employees, and everybody went off on it because it was a CBS and CNN craziness. What the fuck do you expect? What do you expect? Me Too is going to have pushback. Not push back on the case of, oh, fuck women. It's, hey, I'm not going to get caught up in that shit. I'm not getting caught up in it. No, 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 no. And when you have all this other shit to attend to in basically the business world, I got to change my pronouns every five seconds for some fucking Fruit Loop to somebody else in HR hired because you got to have a Fruit Loop now. Yeah, fuck that. To our crazy crime. This one cracked me the fuck up. Man denies owning cocaine on his nose. I shit you not. Florida man who had cocaine on his nose when the vehicle he was traveling was stopped this weekend by police told arresting officers that the drug was not his investigators say. Frabico Jimenez, an illegal 20, was a passenger in a car that was pulled over in Tampa. When Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office deputy approached the auto, the female cop immediately noticed Jimenez had white power, but his answer was, this ain't my shit. I've seen, you know, these aren't my pants. That kind of cracks me up, but wow, dude. The next one, New York City motorcycle rider struck and killed by lightning, identified by Florida troopers. That is so sad. I actually saw this on the news one morning. We were checking the weather. That's just, that's fucking sad, dude. And last but not least, 16,000 people in L.A. now live in cars, vans, and RVs, but safe parking remains elusive. 16,000 people living out of their cars. That is progressivism at its finest. To our lighter fare. Our first light affair is Jim Acosta, and I think it's pretty funny, posted an excerpt from his book on Twitter on Friday, and he can't stop laughing. Here is calling out Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson because they wouldn't say hello to him on a bus. Before long, we boarded the press bus for the main event, Trump-Putin joint news conference. As I set foot on the bus, I immediately spotted two of my biggest critics, Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. Trump's chief protagonists at Fox were seated on the bus, too. And you know what? After all their attacks of me during the primetime state TV programs, they didn't say a word to me. you think they would have something to say to my face, but their Fox macho, 
which they spelled faux macho, man, bullshit, as it turns out, seems to stop at the door to Fox. When I arrived at the presidential palace in Finland capital, grand setting for the news conference, I came upon a chaotic scene, a massive crowd of journalists from around the world and gathering in the cramped holding areas, all of us. Blah, 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 why, why, why. His tweet. Hearing Sean Hannity is taking some shots of me over my book. Two things, Sean. Number one, I have to come on your show. You decline. Sad. Number two, you're in the book. It was the time you had a chance to say something to my face, but you didn't. Peter J. Hassan. Is there any doubt about how Acosta would handle it if Hannity Acosta on a bus? Come on. You know, when somebody really hates somebody, they don't talk to them. I'm that way. I'm not talking to you. Go fuck yourself. So, there it is. A lighter fare soundbat I wanted to play. It's a little long, but since we're a short podcast, we're going to roll this shit. It is, I love you. And I think it's very interesting take. Enjoy. Stop saying I love you. Seriously, it's the most misused phrase on earth. It's a nice thing to say to someone, but tell me, do you mean it? A lot of people say it because it's convenient, but tell me, do you really mean it? A reporter asked an elderly couple, how did you manage to stay together for 65 years? The woman's reply blew me away. She said, we were born in a time when if something was broken, we would fix it not just throw it away hearing her words made me pause for a second no no more than just a second because it made me realize that what most people call love today isn't love at all it's possession and not to be a cynic but i feel most people in our generation just don't know the difference so if you're confused then stop saying i love you don't even fix your lips to make the sound you want to know the difference between love and possession well, stay tuned as I break it down. Contrary to popular belief, true love is not blind. It has 20-20 vision. And a loving relationship is not 50-50 either. It is 100-100, a total commitment. It's not a trade or a balancing act. It is all chips on the table, your whole heart, and that's that. Do not fall into the trappings. Love says, I want you to be happy. Possession says, I want you to make me happy. Because possession is actually the opposite of love. Its other name is addiction. Love has an alias too. It goes by understanding and commitment. See, while possession says me, love says we. Possession is a cage. Love is the sea. Possession wants to control. Love wants to free. Possession wants to become. Love wants to be. Possession keeps receipts to remember its good deeds. Love does not keep score, but remembers we are on the same team. Possession hardens the heart. Love softens it. Possession picks a flower out of the ground, but love waters it. Possession wants to hide. Love is vulnerable and exposed. Possession sees the body. Love sees the soul. Love trusts the process. Possession controls the direction. Possession wants to win the argument. Love desires to win connection. Possession is filled with darkness. Love with sunlight. Possession says who's right. Love says what's right. Love is not sweaty palms or a pounding heart. No, it's more of a calm explosion. Possession destroys those who touch it. Love heals all 
who hold it. Possession is counterfeit. Love is the only truth. Possession fades away. Love is forever because it is absolute. But look, nothing is perfect. Even love needs to be fed. A daily dose of forgiveness, understanding, not just those empty words said. So are you willing to persevere through tough times and choose love every single day? Are you willing to fix things that are broken, not just throw them away? If you said yes, I promise your love will last a lifetime and every day will feel brand new. Just do me one favor. Please respect the word love and say it only to those you truly do. So originally for our This Is America, I had a soundbite of college students disrupting a Gold Star event to talk about I want free shit. And I was going to play it, but then I decided, you know, this is worse. And since I went to my crack clinic today and had to listen to the goddamn view, this is Sonny Hostins saying my Catholic kids will go to a gay pride parade because it's safer than going to church. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I was reading, you know, I was on Twitter this weekend and I read this tweet by Bishop Tobin, who is a Catholic bishop. And he comes out and he says that he wants to remind all Catholics not to support or engage in any pride uh, and participate in any pride uh, parades or anything uh, supporting the LGBTQ community because it's against Christian values and that it's harmful to children. And I and I tweeted out that my Catholic children will be attending pride events as this Catholic will. And, you know, my faith always taught me, what would Jesus do? Yes. And I know Jesus would be attending that pride parade. With pride. And I also, with pride. And I also know that um, God is love. And Jesus is love. Yeah. And, and love is love. And, and for a Catholic bishop 
to come out and say something like that, given the history of pedophilia in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, given what the Catholic mm-hmm. Church has hidden about the abuse of children, some would say that being at a pride parade would be much safer for a child than it has been to be in a Catholic church for many years. As a practicing Catholic, as a practicing Catholic Catholic that has been challenged by the scandals in the Catholic Church. And Whoopi and I have talked about it for a long time. I almost left the Catholic Church because of what happened. Yeah, the disdain for any kind of religion that isn't Islamism is pretty disgusting on the left. And to actually say that, you know what? Go fuck yourself. That's, That's what I have to say. So... This wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments about the track by emailing foppodcast at gmail.com, foppodcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Man, I am out of practice. Remember, check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and our Twitter page at Fop Tony Reed. So, we're going to have our next podcast. Uh, on the 21st or 22nd, all right? Give me some leeway. I do not know when the wife's going to be released, uh, but my intent is to do a short podcast on Friday or Saturday, uh, same length, under two hours, and be right in the room next to her while she's sleeping, come in and do some recording, come back out, come back in, come back out, kind of do it that way. It's probably the best way to do it. And then we'll do the same concept of, you know, one to two a week, uh, Pushing for two. I think I can get two podcasts in, short, to the point. But what I ask is on the back end, for those serious listeners who listen all the time, once we're done with this transition, I'm going to come on the air and go, what did you like? Do you like the long three hours? Or is it better just to go with the short two-hour podcast? Um, what works for you? And then from now on, I'll just do smaller subjects. Um, I kind of grab a big net of stuff and throw it one bag and sometimes I guess it'd be kind of gainly uh, when you're listening to this at work or driving or what have you. Um, I thank once again everybody for sticking with me. For those that kept listening to the podcast, old stuff that was really cool. I mean, there's quite a few on there. It goes back for three years now. Um, I still had over 150 on SoundCloud a week and that's pretty impressive. Because uh, that means there's way more because SoundCloud tracking just sucks. As we head out Before the end music, I would be remiss if I do not recognize the passing of the great Bart Starr. As a Packer fan, um, as a kid, I remember him as a coach. So I'm going to play a short soundbite of his highlights, which will close out our show. Tune back in Friday. Until then, take care of yourself. And as always, thanks for listening. This afternoon was the passing of Bart Starr. Pumps one, fires up the middle, the pass is complete to Boyd Dowler for the touchdown. seconds.
Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.